0: welcome to five ways to invest in real estate when it comes to real estate investing there are tons of different strategies and there's no one perfect way to do it my best piece of advice is to learn about all the different strategies and then to develop your own plan and method and then stick to it in real estate as in any form of investing it's easy to get shiny object syndrome and want to chase the next best thing in this presentation I'm going to walk you through five ways to invest in real estate as well as some subcategories or creative strategies within each. So let's get started. The first way to invest in real estate is long-term rentals. Chances are when you think about investing in real estate, that's the type of investment you think about. I know I do because this is a strategy that my husband and I have used to accumulate wealth. I'm Maria, the founder of Handful of Thoughts, host of this summit, teacher, mom of two, and owner of nine rental properties that I self manage with my husband. Long-term rentals are properties that you buy and hold for an extended period of time, and then you rent them out for six months plus. This could be six months, it could be a year, it could be multiple years. There seems to be an infinite number of ways to apply this strategy. So, to buy long-term rentals, you could buy residential properties or commercial, suited or apartments, condos, student housing, single family, and so on and so forth. Our long-term rental strategies is boring, or at least we hope that they are. I like to think of them as the ETF of real estate investing. Slowly, instead they add to our net worth every month as our tenant pays the rent. We've had some tenants in our properties for years and because we self-manage, we've developed a good working relationship with them. They take care of our property and we treat them fairly and respond to their reasonable requests. One creative way of doing long-term rentals is rent to own, where you purchase a property, a tenant rents it from you for an extended time, and part of their rent or an extra piece of their rent is a little bit of an addition that goes towards the down payment. After a period of time that you've agreed upon in advance, so add an agreed upon. add date and an agreement upon price you sell that property to the tenant now this is more of a A lot of these creative strategies are more advanced. So something I wouldn't necessarily start out with, but something to think about as you become a more sophisticated investor. When we talk about long-term rentals, there's some definite pros. First off, your tenant is helping you build equity within your properties. Every month that they pay that mortgage, a little bit goes to the principal and helps build your equity and therefore net worth. There's also a strong hourly rate based on the rent that you get versus the time you put into it. Yes, there's going to be some months that are going to be busy, but when you figure out your per hour rate, it's actually pretty promising. And finally, we have leveraged investing with long term rentals. If you think about if you bought a $100,000 property and you only had to put 20000 into it, you now had a $100,000 property for only 20000 So that's that leverage that we're talking about. But it's not all roses. The cons of long term rentals are it takes a lot of capital to get involved with this type of investing in Canada. We have to put a 20% down payment for a rental property. Now, again, there's some ways of getting around it and being creative with that. That's just the basic model. You also need to worry about dealing with tenants or property managers. So if you manage your own properties as tenants, but even if you have a tenant, a property manager, you still need to manage the manager. And finally, long-term rentals are especially illiquid, meaning that if you wanted to all of a sudden need to get cash out of your property, you can't just, you know, put a market order and get that cash out within 48 hours sort of thing. You would need to sell the property or list it, sell it and go through that whole process. So definitely uh, a con of this strategy is that the illiquidity of it. So who are long-term rentals for? Well, there's someone who wants to, who has the funds to invest number one, because of the price. Number two, it's someone who wants a long-term investment. These ones are buy and hold for long periods of time. They are great at building net worth and accumulate, wealth, but it's definitely not a short-term strategy. They're also best if you are self managing because the profit margins are better than if you have a property manager, but you also need to have the time and knowledge to do that. And then lastly, long-term rentals are great for someone who's willing to house hack. So if you have an extra room in your house or basement suite and you rent out a long-term tenant, that can be a great way of helping off pay you off your mortgage faster. In fact, when we bought our first property, we had two tenants living with us to help pay our mortgage off so fast. So when it comes to time and money, I gave this a high money value because again, it costs a lot to get into the These kind of properties. But the time is a little bit less. It's not the maximum time. It's a little bit less because oftentimes people think real estate is passive, which it is not, but it does take some time, obviously. It's like less time than some of the other strategies, but it's definitely gonna take you time. For us, we find that some months are very busy and other months are dead. So a lot of our leases come up in the spring. So we're very busy in that spring, summertime, but usually in the fall and winter, it's very quiet for us. The second type of strategy is very similar to the first. So the first one we talked about long-term rentals. The second type is short-term rentals. Short-term rentals are properties that you rent for shorter periods of time, usually less than six months. Airbnbs are a great example of short-term rentals. With this type of rental, you have less of a relationship with your tenants and it's more of a transaction. So you might have somebody coming for a month or a weekend or a night, whatever that may be. And just like long-term rentals, there are various different ways to implement short-term rental strategies. Maybe you have a property that you bought and you've decided that it's not really working for you in a long-term rental situation, so you want to convert to a short-term rental situation or vice versa. Short-term rentals do really well in Sought after locations that have some kind of creative flair to them. You've maybe you've seen some of those Airbnbs that are like a Hobbit's house or they have like a really interesting theme, very artsy or something like that. Those tend to do well because you're being compared to other ones. Also, you want to make sure your area is well sought after. So if you're in a university type area or near a hospital, those do really well. But if you're in a small town with not a lot of tourism, short-term rentals may not really be for you because it is a big driver of tourism. That doesn't mean to say that they're all tourists. I know a lot of people, I have a lot of friends that do short-term rentals, and some of their tenants are there for maybe a month at a time because now maybe they they're building a house and that's in between so don't think that all short-term rentals are just for weekends it could be a longer period you know 50 60 days of tenancy one creative way to do short-term rentals is to get a long-term lease on a property so you find somebody who's gonna rent out your property rent your a property to you you have a landlord you're the tenant and then you sublet that out as a short-term rental you're still gonna have to pay to furnish the property but overall this strategy works because it fixes your monthly costs but it keeps you that potential upside so you know. What your rent's going to be every month, there's, and your insurance, but there's not all these extra maintenance fees or everything else. Obviously, if your tenant's your short-term tenant's do damage, you're going to have to worry about that. But it's less of a hassle because you are renting. This strategy works good, but you need to find the right properties and the right landlords to do this because this isn't going to be available any everywhere. So some of the pros of short-term rentals is that they have greater cash flow potential than long-term rentals. Now I say this is potential because it's not always realized. If you have a greater per night rate than with a long-term rental, if you were fully rented out every night, then absolutely short-term rentals are going to have greater profit potential. But that's not always the case because you may not have always rented out. You're also not locked into a long-term lease with a bad tenant. So maybe the tenant seemed good, but after you know a few months, they seem bad. And trying to get out a long-term tenant is a lot harder than a shorter-term tenant. Sometimes with a shorter-term tenant, you just kind of wait it out and then they leave. And finally, another pro is the marketing platforms. So for example, if you're using Airbnb, that's a great platform that they push out your property to people looking in that area. The cons of short-term rental is that they're Becoming increasingly more regulated and rules around them. So, as far as which ones can qualify in certain cities and all the rules around that. So, it can be prohibited in some places to have multiple Airbnbs in the same location. There's also more time required for short term rental due to the continuous turnover. So, even if you have a property manager doing this for you or a company, there's still going to be more time running around dealing with that in the beginning, apart, especially if you have a property manager. But if you're doing it yourself, there's that turnover, even if you're not, you know, doing everything yourself, you know, coordinating cleaners, responding to things, all of those things take more time than with a long-term rental. And finally, you're going to get an increase in wear and tear on your property and furnishings. With a long-term rental, chances are it's unfurnished. With a short-term rental, most often they are furnished. So now you're getting wear and tear on your furnishings that you might have to replace on a more regular interval. All that being said, short-term rentals can be a great property if you are somebody with time to manage or have the money to pay someone to do it for you. If you live in a highly sought after location, this can be a very lucrative type of rental property or an investment strategy because if you're renting out a lot of those nights, it makes a lot of sense and for cash flow or It can also make sense if you want a house hack. So maybe you again have a bedroom in your house or a basement suite or a garden suite or something like that and you want to rent it out on a short term basis. Maybe you travel for work and you want to then rent out your house while you're gone for weeks at a time or weekends at a time. Both of those are short term rental strategies that can help pay off your mortgage faster. This one I'm giving a three out of three for both money and time because if you're buying a property it's definitely gonna cost you more money to get into that property versus some of the other strategies but that money can be decreased with some different strategies like the subletting example I gave earlier or renting out part of your home. I gave it a three out of three because again, you're looking at turnover. You're getting that constant turnover, managing tenants, those sort of things. So that will increase the time required. Now this can be decreased if you use a management company or something else like that. The third type of strategy is a joint venture. So with a joint venture, it's usually two parties. So you and a partner, they come together to invest in real estate. One party is the money partner. The other party is the working partner. So depending on how you outlay this, the working partner might not have any capital in the partnership and the money partner has all the capital but does nothing they just are putting in the money the previous two strategies we talked about long-term and short-term rentals also work as joint ventures it's just a different strategy for you as an investor a creative way to do a joint venture is to buy a property so again it depends this is if you want to be strictly an investor as a joint venture you are just going to look for people who are selling looking for joint venture partners but as a working partner potentially so let's say i own a property i take one of my nine properties that i bought and now i want to get some capital out of it a creative way to do a joint venture is i now I'll look for a partner as a joint venture. They, I have now a proven track record of this property. Here's the cash flow. Here's everything it's been doing. It's not a surprise. They now buy into it. Maybe they buy into it for what my down payment was. I get my down payment out. They are now on title. We put them on title. They're now a joint venture and they share in the profit of this. This can be a good strategy because it's easier to find a partner when you have a proven asset. But again, you you have to be a bit creative with this if this is something you want to do. When it comes to joint ventures, these can be a great way to have diversification potential in your portfolio. So if you want to get into like bigger properties, for example, or you want to kind of be in an ownership stake, but you don't really know how to do that or things like that, then this can be a way of joint venturing. Do that. You could also, if you're the money partner, you could joint venture with multiple different partners in multiple different cities or multiple different strategies to get some diversification as well. There is a benefit of minimal time or minimal money. So if you don't have a lot of time or you don't have a lot of money, you don't need to have both, right? So this is where the strategy can really work. And finally, you can, this is a way to invest in real estate without having to do it all or beat all because you have that partner to help you along the way. That being said, you also need to worry about managing that relationship with the partner. So you want to make sure you find the right partner and that process of seeking out partners can sometimes be cumbersome depending on your situation, what exactly you're looking for, if you're the money partner or the working partner. And then finally, there could also be a difference of opinion. So if you are the money partner and you want to be involved in some of those decisions, that might cause some conflict with the working partner who's the expert in those situations. Personally, we have never joint ventured on any of our properties because we never wanted to manage that relationship with a partner. My husband and I work together and that's pretty much, we joke that that's the relationship or that's our joint venture. We always wanted to be only accountable to ourselves because with a joint venture partner or partners, you're always accountable to them as well. So for us, if we totally blew up or made a mistake and kind of went wrong, then that's on us. Again, the same thing if the other side, if we totally hit a home run and we're amazing, again, that's only on us and only uh, we have to profit from that. So joint ventures can be great for investors with lots of knowledge or lots of money, but maybe not both. So if you know a lot about real estate, you've got this tried and trusted, you know, proven method, it can be really good to be joint venture with somebody. Or maybe you have a lot of money and you want to get involved, but you don't really know a lot. So then you can go that way as well. Again, it's some, for someone looking for diversification in their portfolio. And it's someone who is keen on working with others because you do have that relationship to build. Now I've given this a three out of three in money or a three out of three in time, because usually you're doing one or the other. If you're the money partner, you're putting money in very minimal time. If you're the working partner, very minimal money in, if any, and you're dealing with a lot of the time. The next way to invest in real estate are REITs and MIX. Now, if you're following along with your acronym cheat sheet, both of them are there, but hang on with me, I will walk you through this. So REITs and MIX are ways to invest in real estate within the markets. So these are publicly traded funds. A REIT is a real estate investment trust and a MIC is a mortgage investment corporation. Both can be bought or sold on a market. So usually on a TSX or something like that. And they are ways of investing in larger projects while minimizing your risk so it's a pooling of funds so it's a pooling of funds of investors but they have a slight difference with a mic a mortgage investment corporation that money is used to fund mortgages on properties so the mic the mic company will take all of these investors money let's say they pool together a million dollars and then they start funding mortgages so they're a mortgage essentially you can get a mortgage from them oftentimes they're second mortgages or third mortgages on properties but they can also potentially be first mortgages depending on the situation but with a REIT what happens so a real estate investment trust all of that money is used it's all pooled same thing but it's used to invest in physical properties that are usually income generating such as apartments hotels retail centers like malls and infrastructure i'm not going to get too much into reits because there's a whole presentation on that in the summit a creative way investing in reits and mix is looking for ones that are exempt market these are ones that are not listed on the tsx so they can potentially provide greater returns and they're also non-correlated assets meaning as markets go up and down They may be more flat. They may, or maybe up and down in their own way, but they're not as tied into the market. They're exempt market. Now, greater potential for returns means greater risk. So you definitely want to make sure you get your research required before you do anything from exempt market. Personally, we've invested in both REITs and MIX on exempt market, in exempt market REITs and MIX in our registered accounts as another form of diversification strategy. So looking at REITs from a MIX, I'm putting them together because again, they're both those market type of things. But from a pro's perspective, the benefit of these is they can be held in registered accounts. Now you can do long term and short term rentals in registered accounts, but it's a little bit more finicky and a little bit more tricky. REITs and MIX, super easy because they're Trade on the market for the most part, or even exempt market, but they're super easy to put into registered accounts. It's a way to be involved in real estate without the tenants. So, if you want real estate in your portfolio, but you don't want to deal with tenants, this is great. And there's minimal capital required to get started. So, some REITs and MIX, depending on what they are, if they're exempt market, they might have minimum balances. But if they're on market or in the market, chances are all you're doing is buying a share in them. So, whatever the share price is, is the capital required to get in. And that share price is easily under a $1,000. Maybe it's a couple hundred dollars maybe it's even less than that. So that's all you need to get in. So a lot less capital intensive, but you also have less control. So with a property, if you own it, you have control of what goes in when the roof gets done, all these things. With a reader mic, you're just giving your money and it's being pooled. You have very much less control in this case. There's also potential possible loss of upside because it's kind of pooled. You're looking at more average than again, these big swings, which there's nothing wrong with average, but it could be a potential con of this strategy. And finally there's choice and quality. So there are a ton of different REITs and mix out there on the market market. And sometimes it can be tough to choose which one. Like, How do you know what to pick? If you are wanting to get involved with REITs especially, definitely make sure that you check out the VIPL access pass for the summit, or for sure, at least the REITs session within this summit where they talked about that. So there's also an ultimate guide to buying REITs checklist within that all access pass. Now, not all REITs and mix are the same. So yes, there's some regulation involved with them, but they're not all the same. And sometimes some of those smaller REITs and smaller mix are more vulnerable to market volatility with this rapid increase in interest rates that we've seen recently, some mix and maybe even some REITs have actually gone bankrupt because they haven't been strong enough or been protected for that volatility risk. Now, that being said, REITs are great for someone wanting to get into real estate that doesn't have a lot of money. So you again, that smaller capital required. It's also good for somebody who wants real estate in their portfolio, but they don't want to own a property. They don't want to be attached to that. They don't want to deal with tenants or anything like that. So they're just looking to diversify into another asset class without the physical property. And finally, they can be a great way of just getting started with real estate. So learning that process, kind of getting it on your belt and adding it to your portfolio. So with this technique or this strategy, I should say, it is the lowest time and money requirement possible of all these five, not possible of all these five comparatively. So there is a bit of money involved, obviously to invest and a little bit of time in doing your research to making sure that you're invested in something that you're comfortable with. And the final type of way that I'm going to talk about investing in real estate is private mortgage lending. Now this is very similar to a MIC, a mortgage investment corporation in that the money is used to fund... A mortgage on a property, but it's different in that private mortgage lending is usually only associated with one mortgage where a MEC is this pooling of money for a pooling of mortgages. An example of private mortgage lending could be you becoming the bank for a family member to buy a property. So they are now more getting their mortgage from you. It could also be being a member of a lending club where you're kind of pooling and you're privately looking at people and deals to kind of fund their mortgages. Now, when it comes to private lending, they typically have higher returns, but that being said, higher returns means higher risk. And that's what we see on that con side. Higher returns, always at risk reward. These Another pro is it's a short term way of tying up your money. So you're not stuck in this, you know, five, 25, 35 year amortization. You might only have it for six months or even a year at the most usually. And another benefit is they are not correlated to the markets. Meaning that you, if you're private lending, if I'm lending to, you know, my neighbor, the money for their mortgage or a second mortgage, it doesn't matter what the market's doing on the other side. It doesn't matter if the markets go up or the markets crash in that six months or a year that I have that private lending mortgage, because that is a separate entity not correlated to the markets. Now, a risk with this is that they're not regulated. So you are going to have some legal contracts and things like that, but these aren't regulated. So it's kind of the Wild West when it comes to investing. Again, we talked about that high risk and therefore high reward. And finally, it's you're going to have some time finding the right fit. So you want to make sure you do your research and seeing, you know, is, you know, renting or not renting, but lending money to a family member or friend, is that your best fit? Is that best use your money? How does it play into that relationship, et cetera. So private mortgage lending can be great for somebody with a large chunk of money that they only want tied up for short term. So for example, let's say you just sold your house and you have now all of these funds and you know of a private lending kind of situation that's going to take your money for six months, which is going to be good for you because you don't need this money for another year for whatever the next project is going to be for you. This could be a great fit. This can also be a great fit for somebody that's already knowledgeable about real estate because you have to be able to evaluate the deal that someone's bringing to you. If you know nothing about, you know, kind of seeing is this a good value or is this a good deal, a good proposition, this adds increased risk and may not be the strategy for you. It can also be a good way of helping somebody out. If you have a family friend or a a friend or a family member, it can be a good way of helping them out. Just be aware of that relationship and how that's going to play out because you are essentially being a bank or being a mortgage for someone. There is a big money commitment here, but less of a time commitment because you're lending that money and you're collecting the payments every month. So I've just talked about five different ways of investing in real estate, but there are so many different subcategories and creative strategies for each. So how do you decide which one is right for you? Well, hopefully the previous slide started outlining who the strategy is good for and hopefully you found that helpful. But there's also three questions that you can ask yourself if you're wanting to invest in real estate. The first group of questions you want to ask yourself relates to time. So how much time do you have or how much time are you willing to dedicate to real estate investing in your portfolio. Some of these strategies are highly time intensive throughout the time that they are implemented, while others have a higher time component or requirement in the beginning to learn the strategy or to research, to apply. But then once your money is kind of invested, then there's less time commitment as it goes on. The second group of questions you want to ask yourself is, how much money do I have to dedicate to real estate in my investment portfolio? Or how much seed capital do I have for this endeavor? You want to also think about what percentage of your portfolio are you willing to put towards investing in real estate? So, we talk about asset allocation and portfolio rebalancing you may or may not want a high percentage of your portfolio invested in real estate if you do want a high percentage you also need to consider where is that money going to come from? And finally, the third question you want to ask yourself are what are your strengths? So are you really good with DIY or maybe you're a tradesperson? Then this can be a great fit for self-managing. Are you really good at spreadsheets or company research, analyzing properties that can be good for different things as well? Or are you really good with people skills? Maybe joint venturing is for you because you are involved in those people skills. Now I've just talked about five different ways of investing in real estate, but there are so many different subcategories within each that this really could have been 50 ways of investing with real estate. So, my suggestion is if you want real estate in your portfolio, take some time make a list, write numbers one to five and rank these five strategies for which one do you think is going to be the best fit for you based on these three questions and which one is going to be the least. So number one is the best fit for you. Number five is the least fit and then start doing a bit of research and take action. So I definitely want to thank you. And hopefully this has helped kind of dispel and try to help you figure out which one is the best fit for you, or at least the different strategies that are out there. If you're interested in learning more about real estate or kind of being in that realm, talking to some like-minded individuals, join my real estate insiders newsletter, where I share tips, and tricks and action steps you could take with your real estate investments i'm like i said a long-term buy and hold investor so if that is you or that's something you're interested in please by all means reach out i love talking real estate good luck on your real estate investing journey